Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome to another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. How is everybody doing out there? Just a reminder that you are listening to us from 5 to 6 p.m. on WQEE 99.1 FM The Key out of Noonan. We are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill, Go Jump a Slide of Inflatables. We've got a great show for you. I am going to talk about everything that happened over the weekend, including that controversial roughing the passer call on Grady Jarrett. The whole Twitter buzz is talking about it as that is... Just an egregious call that cost the Atlanta Falcons the game. Georgia and Auburn, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. And going to recap the baseball playoffs. The Atlanta Braves know who their opponent's going to be on Tuesday as they are taking on the Philadelphia Phillies. All right, I'm going to have my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, here on the show. But let's get right into the show. Just a reminder, this is episode 478 on this October the 10th, 2022. So let's get right into the show. Let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. They fell to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 21-15. to Falcons fans, I know you want to blame the refs for that egregious roughing the passer call on Grady Jarrett. And yes, it was egregious. It was a terrible call. But in the heat of the moment, on TV it looked like he was throwing him down. But really Tom Brady was rolling over Grady. I was ready to get on this show today and talk about how Grady Jarrett gets another sack to stop a drive on a crucial play for Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers get the first down. They win the ball game 21 to 15 after being up 21 to nothing, but the Falcons were able to come back and almost pulled it off if they would have gotten the ball back. The Buccaneers are now 3 and 2 and they are in first place in the NFC South. The Falcons are 2 and 3 and they will take on the San Francisco 49ers next week. I'll have Justin Dale on the show on Wednesday and we're going to preview that game. What a crazy weekend in college football. It started with several noon kickoff games. I was completely shocked that Texas blew out Oklahoma 49 to nothing. Tennessee got a very impressive win over LSU. Is Tennessee back? I'm going to have Brad Page on the show tomorrow. We were in college at Freed Hardman at right around the same time that Tennessee was dominant. Top five program. Won the national title in 1998. Well, let me tell you something. If Tennessee beats Alabama next week, they are officially back. And I think they have an outside shot to win the national championship. I'm not kidding. This Tennessee team looks incredible. The way they beat LSU, unbelievable. First time they've beaten them since 2005. Now let's talk about this Tennessee-Alabama game. Third Saturday in October, one of the biggest Tennessee-Alabama games in over 20 years. The last time Tennessee beat Alabama was 2006. Mike Shula was the head coach. They have never beaten Nick Saban. Well, they got close. 2009, we all remember Mount Cody's blocked field goal attempt. But the last time, I'm looking at the history books. Because I remember, I came to Freed Harmon in 1999. They just won the national championship. It seemed like Philip Fulmer was getting them to 9-10 wins every year. And even all the way up to 2007, Tennessee was relevant. That was the year they actually lost to LSU in the SEC championship. Since Philip Fulmer left, Lane Kiffin, 7-6, but they were a very competitive 7-6. They were a very exciting team. Derek Dooley was an absolute dumpster fire. 6-7, 5-7, 4-7, and he got fired. Butch Jones comes in, 5-7, 7-6, Rattles off two 9-4 seasons and then goes 4-6 and, and gets fired. Jeremy Pruitt, 
He only lasted three years. After finishing three and seven in the COVID year, Jeremy Pruvit gets fired, and now Josh Heupel. Look at what Tennessee has done. Five and O oh for the first time since 2016. And I know that you look at 2016 and they went five and zero, oh, and then they lost to Texas A&M, Alabama, and South Carolina. They did finish nine and four that season. But this Tennessee team is good. Hendon Hooker is the Heisman Trophy favorite. And I actually give Tennessee a fighting chance against Georgia. I definitely think they could beat Alabama, especially if Bryce Young is not playing in the game next week. Going to go through all the college football games that happened over the weekend. You have TCU beating Kansas. Kansas is undefeated no more. And Kansas is actually a favorite against Oklahoma next week. What is going on with the Oklahoma Sooners? Three and three. Is Brent Venables on the hot seat? He's getting close. Michigan actually pulls away from Indiana. They get a big win. You got Mississippi State. Don't underestimate the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They defeated Arkansas 40-17. to I know that Arkansas didn't have K.J. Jefferson. But what Mississippi State is doing, not only with Will Rogers in the passing game, but their ground game has improved. And Mike Leach, he is the type of coach that's not afraid to take chances. I, I see them having a fighting chance against Georgia in Starkville. And I think they give Alabama a game. Local teams, Georgia State beating Georgia Southern 41-33. to Georgia Tech getting a win over Duke in overtime 23-20. to And can we give Brent Key the job? He's 2-0 as the interim head coach. Just give him the job. The culture has changed for the Yellow Jackets. Jeff Collins just wasn't the right fit for Georgia Tech. I think that Brent Key is the right fit. And Georgia Tech rattling off two wins and they take on Virginia next week. So I think that the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets could go 4-3 and and could possibly go to a bowl game. This is incredible. Oklahoma State gets a big win over Texas Tech. They are my outside favorite to win the Big 12 and to make it to the college football playoff. You got UCLA beating Utah. I want to talk about this game because UCLA right now is 6-0. What Chip Kelly is doing at UCLA is fascinating. They went 8-4 last year. You have to trust the process. You have to trust what Dorian Thompson-Robinson is doing for that Bruins offense. And I think that UCLA is one of those teams that could meet up against USC in the Pac-12 championship. They put 42 points on this incredible Utah defense. And the one thing I always talk about on this show is the fan base for college football in California. And this was a big-time game. I think college game day should have been there. And yet UCLA only drew 42,000 fans. Where's the fan base coming to support these UCLA Bruins? It gets a little bit tougher because they go on the bye, and then on October 22nd, they will take on the Oregon Ducks who have rattled off five straight wins, and Bo Nix starting to look comfortable in this offense. This actually is going to make Georgia look good because that's a quality win for the Georgia Bulldogs. The fact that Oregon is 5-1. and one. You got Ohio State having no trouble against Michigan State. They actually move up to number two in the rankings. Alabama falls to number three. How about South Carolina getting a big win over Kentucky on the road, even though Kentucky didn't have Will Levis. Clemson was just dominant on the road against Boston College, 31-3. I think that Clemson can run the table. You have Ole Miss beating Vanderbilt, 52-28. Looking at some of the local teams in Georgia, Mercer defeats Western Carolina, 49-6. And Mercer is 5-1. They are one of the top teams in FCS. Kennesaw State, during their homecoming, was able to, they were able to beat North Alabama 40-34 to in overtime. They are 2-3 and three on the year. And Maryville was able to beat LaGrange College 56-17 to during their homecoming. LaGrange College is now 1-4 and four on the season, and Maryville is 2-4. and four. Shedrick Lindsay was 14-28 for 223 yards with two touchdowns. And LaGrange College will go on the bye next week. Their next game is going to be at Brevard on October 22nd. Their next home game is going to be November 5th against Southern Virginia at Callaway Stadium. 
All right, so I do want to talk about this Alabama-Texas A&M game because it was a very anticipated game going into this season. It was the primetime game on the CBS. It was the primetime game on CBS. Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. Alabama won the game, and they had four turnovers, and their kicker missed two field goals. But yet, Texas A&M had a chance to win the game at the end. Haynes Keene started for the injured Max Johnson. He had a shot with a first and goal in the back of the end zone. There was a pass interference call, and there was a first and goal. It was a fade route. I just questioned the play calling by Jimbo Fisher. Alabama was able to survive. And I'm going to say right now, if Bryce Young doesn't go next week against Tennessee, I don't see Alabama beating Tennessee. As great as Jameer Gibbs was in the run game, and he was gashing the holes, Jalen Milrow cannot pass the ball like Bryce Young. Bryce Young is a special quarterback. He's projected to be the number one pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Alabama needs Bryce Young to win this game. Got plenty of time this week to preview the Tennessee-Alabama game. I'm just excited about this game. This is the first time in 20 years that this game is as big as it has been. All right, let's get into the National Football League. Had a lot of interesting games around the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles still the only team in the NFL that's 5-0. They were able to beat the Cardinals in Arizona 20-17. You have the Dallas Cowboys beating the Rams. What is wrong with the Rams? Are the Rams a one-hit wonder from their Super Bowl win? The Los Angeles Rams do not have an offensive line. The Cowboys, D, they were the difference in this game. And what a difference Dan Quinn has made. Dallas Cowboys are 4-1. and one. They are ready for a big showdown Sunday night next week against the Philadelphia Eagles. Incredible game. Tennessee has won three straight games. They beat the Washington Commanders 21-17. You got the New England Patriots. Bailey Zappi. Is he going to win this starting job over Mac Jones? Because when Bill Belichick is focused, they were able to beat the Lions 29 to nothing. And I think that Dan Campbell is now officially on the hot seat. I think that he's going to be gone. Uh, another coach that's on the hot seat is Matt Rule. Carolina played bad against the San Francisco 49ers. I watched this game, you know, because I have the NFL Red Zone channel. They were bad. The San Francisco 49ers were able to win the game 37 to 15. It was a great win. The 49ers do have the best defense, but Emmanuel Mosley is feared to have torn his ACL and he might be out for the season. Nick Bosa left the game with tightness in his groin. If Nick Bosa is not a go for the game against the Atlanta Falcons, I believe the 49ers are going to lose that game because the Falcons are going to be able to move the ball against the 49ers without Nick Bosa. As great as this 49ers defense is, Jimmy Ward was out with a broken hand. They still have Aishis Alshire that's going to be on IR. I think that the San Francisco 49ers and the Atlanta Falcons, it's a very fascinating matchup. And having Justin Dale on the show on Wednesday, we're going to preview this game because I'm excited about Kyle Shanahan returning to Atlanta and finding out what type of ovation he is going to get. But Carolina, they don't look all that great. Baker Mayfield threw a pick six to Emmanuel Mosley, and it was 17-3 at the half. Carolina only has one weapon, Christian McCaffrey. He had an amazing touchdown, but the 49ers defense is the best defense in football. If they don't have Nick Bosa in the lineup, I think that they are an ordinary defense, but they've got to do something about the turf. This is the second time I remember the 49ers going on the East Coast playing on turf, and they have a plethora of injuries including Nick Bosa, who tore his ACL against the Jets a couple years ago. Houston got an impressive win over Jacksonville. That was puzzling because I thought that the Jaguars were a very good team. But the game of the day was this back-and-forth game between the New Orleans Saints and the Seattle Seahawks. Taysom Hill and Andy Dalton were at quarterback. Alvin Kamara had a great game. And just going back and forth, and New Orleans was able to get the victory 39-32. to So Seattle is 2-3. and three. You got the Rams that are two and three. The Cardinals are two and three. The 49ers are three and two. They are in first place in the NFC West. So good job to them. The Chargers were able to get the victory over the Cleveland Browns. I'm going to have Corey on, and we're going to talk about that game. Is Buffalo the best team in the NFL? Because right now, Buffalo manhandled the Pittsburgh Steelers in Kenny Pickett's first NFL start, and he actually wasn't that bad. I didn't think that Kenny Pickett had a terrible game. 
The Jets get the win over the Miami Dolphins. You're down two quarterbacks. Teddy Bridgewater left early in that game. You have the Giants beating the Green Bay Packers 27-22 in London. I think that the Giants at 4-1 look pretty impressive. Minnesota gets the win over Chicago 29-22. Although I thought that Justin Fields played a little bit better. I think that Chicago is in trouble. The Sunday night game was the Baltimore Ravens beating the Cincinnati Bengals. The Ravens are now in first place in the AFC North. Major League Baseball playoffs, don't you just love that new wildcard format? Because we had four games on Friday, four games on Saturday. And the Seattle Mariners get their first playoff series win. They were able to win both games on the road against the Toronto Blue Jays. And they will take on the Houston Astros in the division series starting Tuesday. We have got a huge slate of games in the division series for both the American League and the National League. The Cleveland Guardians were able to beat the Tampa Bay Rays in two games, and they will take on the Yankees as well. The Phillies were able to get two wins against the Cardinals on the road, and they will take on the Braves on Tuesday. The biggest upset in the wildcard round was the San Diego Padres beating the New York Mets in three. They won last night six to nothing thanks to a gym thrown by Hargrove. And the Mets threw Scherzer and DeGrom out there. They did get the win on Saturday, but I was shocked that the San Diego Padres won this series. When Fernando Tatis Jr. was suspended for the PED violation, I thought that the Padres' bats weren't as potent as they were. They still had Manny Machado. They still had Juan Soto. They were going all in. They gave up some really good prospects for Juan Soto. And the Padres pull off the biggest shocker in the wildcard round. We'll take on the Dodgers on Tuesday. So here is what Tuesday is looking like for the division series. The first game is going to be the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies at Truett's Park. First pitch is 107 on Fox. And there's already people in the metro Atlanta area trying to get off work for that game. I'm not a fan of these afternoon games. You have the defending World Series champions that should be in prime time. This game should be in prime time, but first pitch is at 1 o'clock. You got the Seattle Mariners taking on the Houston Astros. That game will be at 3.37. The Guardians taking on the Yankees at 7.30. And then the Padres taking on the Dodgers on the West Coast. That is going to be a 9.37 first pitch. We did have some incredible high school football games in the Chattahoochee Valley over the weekend. I'm going to reveal my top 10 for West Georgia and East Alabama. So let's go ahead and get started. Starting with East Alabama. Here we go. Number one. The Auburn Tigers, 7-0. They had the bye. They're taking on Central next week, and that should be the high school game of the week. Looking forward to seeing that matchup. It's probably going to be a preview of a state semifinal game for the state playoffs in Alabama. Number two, Lee Scott Academy. I mean, they've been dominant. 49 nothing win over Bessemer Academy. They're going to win this region, and they're going to steamroll their way into the playoffs. Number three, Central. 6-2. and two. Impressive Thursday night win at Garrett Harrison Stadium against the Robert E. Lee Generals as they get ready for their big showdown with the Auburn Tigers this Friday night. Number four, Lochapoca. They're 7-0. They are rolling in single A. Number five, Beauregard. Beauregard is 7-0. Getting the win over Elmore County. And they got a big game on the road in Lineville against Central of Clay County, which is a candidate for high school game of the week. Number six, Opelika. They are five and three. They got a very important home win over Smith Station. I know that Opelika has three losses, but Opelika is going to be one of those teams that's going to sneak into the playoffs. They snap a three-game losing streak. They beat Smith Station 31 to 14. And then their next two games, number seven, the Hanley Tigers, 48-3 win over Talladega. They're 7-1 on the season, 3-1 in the region. Looking good so far. Number eight, the Ufala Tigers, 6-2. They lost to Charles Henderson, 34-7, and they fall to 3-1 in the region. Number nine, Realtown. You know Realtown is 5-1? After losing their opener to Tallahassee, they have rattled off five straight. And they are undefeated in the region. After defeating Horseshoe Bend on Friday night, they will travel to take on Laverne, and then in two weeks, they have a big showdown with Highland Home. That could determine seeding when it comes to playoff time. And number 10, 
Chambers Academy. With Chambers Academy, they've won five straight after starting the year 0-2. Chambers is looking good. I cannot wait for that showdown. October the 28th, when Chambers Academy comes to the Swamp to take on the Glenwood Gators. Which Glenwood, they won as well. They're 4-3. and three. They're on the outside looking in. I would probably put them at number 11. All right, moving on to West Georgia. Number one, Troop County. Is this not the best team in 4A right now? I think Troop has a shot at winning the state championship for 4A. Look at their region they're in and look how dominant they have been. Troop County plays Fayette County in two weeks. They're on a bye next week. But then they close out the season at home against Trinity Christian on October 28th. That's a massive game. Definitely a candidate for high school game of the week. And then their crosstown rival, the LaGrange Grangers, on November the 4th. Right now, Troop County is tied for the region at 4-0 on the season. But at 7-0, Troop County looks great. Number two, moving up in my rankings, is the St. Ampicelli Vikings after defeating Brookstone and getting the Brucelli Jug once again after beating them last season. St. Ampicelli looks great. And they're 6-1. And, and that's why I moved them up in my rankings Number three, LaGrange. And even though they're five and two, they're two and two in the region. They're tied with Whitewater and Stars Mill. One of these teams is not going to make the playoffs. LaGrange knows they have got to beat either Trinity Christian or Troop County because they have already lost to Whitewater and Stars Mill. These teams are just going to face each other off. I know that Whitewater and Stars Mill have to play each other, but they're going to try to battle for that final playoff spot. But LaGrange looks good. And 5-2, and two, I move them up in my rankings. Number 4, I dropped them in my rankings, the Carver Tigers. They are 4-2. and two. They lost a heartbreaker to Thomasville. 15-14, to 14, I was really rooting for them. I was hoping that the Carver Tigers were able to get this incredible road victory. They fall, they fall short to Thomasville. And now they host Crisp County at A.J. McClung Memorial Stadium on Friday night for a potential high school game of the week candidate as Crisp County is one of the top teams in the region. Number five, Callaway. Callaway's won three straight. They were on a bye this week, but they will take on Towers next week and they're just going to continue improving and moving up in my rankings. Number six, the Northside Patriots getting an impressive victory over their crosstown rival, the Harris County Tigers. And they have a very good running back, Malachi Hosley. Northside will start the rest of the region schedule. And I think they could run the table because McIntosh right now, they're the team that could be some, could give Northside some problems. But, you know, you get to play Drew and you get to play Northgate. Northside is 1-0 in this region. And I think they got a shot at winning this region and, and going into the playoffs. Number seven, Schley County. They're 4-2. They were on a bye this week. Number eight, Manchester, 4-2. They were also on a bye. They'll take on Greenville. Schley County will take on Taylor County. And I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in two weeks, Schley County taking on Manchester. Potential high school game of the week candidate. And number nine, the Spencer Green Wave. Five and two. I mean, they look incredible. Three and oh in the region. And their next three games are at home. Spencer could run the table and make a huge run going into the playoffs. And then number 10, Calvary Christian drops all the way to number 10 because they're now 5-3, and three, and that's my rankings. I will go ahead and recap this rankings on Friday's show for the Friday Night Lights High School Football Preview Review Show. Now I think it's about time to bring on my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the recap of all the sporting events that happened over the weekend. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the show. I've got my co-host and broadcast partner, Corey Bank, as we are going to recap all the exciting sporting events that happened over the weekend. Corey, what's going on? It's been a crazy weekend full of football, Richard. My goodness. Corey, we're going to start with college football because I actually stayed up late to watch that Texas A&M-Alabama game, and we all thought Alabama was going to blow Texas A&M out. But some factors that caused Texas A&M to stay in that game, the four turnovers by Bama, 
playing their backup quarterback, Jalen Milroe. And Texas A&M had a shot to win that game at the end. I did not like the play call by Jimbo Fisher on that last play, but Texas A&M down 24 to 20 with a shot to win the game. Bama survives. They drop to number three in the AP poll, but that was just an incredible game. I mean, it lived up to the preseason hype, and then everybody expected Alabama was going to blow Texas A&M out, but Texas A&M brought their A game and through the kitchen sink at Bama. That's certainly for sure, Richard. So, fighting through an inefficient offense, an ill-performing special teams unit that's not Bama team narrowly topped Texas A&M and Tuscaloosa to keep its perfect season alive and avenge last year's road loss to the Aggies. Leading 24-20 late in the fourth quarter, Richard, the Crimson Tide defended at the goal line in the game's final seconds as the Aggies quarterback Haynes King's pass from the two-yard line fell incomplete with time ticking off the clock. King, who filled in for the injured quarterback Max Johnson, took the game all the way to the final whistle by leading Texas A&M on a furious 10-play, 69-yard drive. However, Richard, Alabama's defense held on the last play as the Tide survived their biggest scare of the season to this point. Alabama running back Jamar Gibb was the star of the show, picking up 167 total yards for a team that struggled offensively behind quarterback Jalen Milrow, filling in for the 2021 Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young, who sat out with a sprained shoulder suffered versus Arkansas. Milrow completed just 12 of 19 passing for 111 yards with an interception, two fumbles. Both the fumbles, Richard, led directly to Texas A&M's touchdowns. However, Milroy also ran for 83 yards, key yards on 17 carries and tossed three touchdowns to help spur the Bama offense in key moments. King ran for his life much of the game as the Tide's front seven was relentless. He was sacked three times and hurried 14 times with Alabama star linebacker Will Anderson Jr. So notching eight of those pressures, King ultimately completed just 25-46 passing for 253 yards with two touchdowns and a pick. That kind of defensive performance from the Tide was necessary considering how sloppy they were with the football. In addition to Milroy's miscues, running back Jason McClellan also lost a fumble. In total, the ball hitting the ground three times led to 17 points for the Aggies, Richard, combined with an uneven performance from Bama kicker Will Reichard, who made a 50-yard field goal just before halftime, but he missed from 47 late in the third quarter and 35 yards midway through the fourth. The Tide kept the Aggies in the game until the bitter end. It was a great win for the team, says Coach Saban, and they made through a lot of adversity and obstacles, especially with Bryce not being able to play. Now, Jalen made some good plays, but but Coach Saban thinks they didn't have any consistency on their offense. With the Alabama Crimson Tide getting ready to take on Tennessee in Knoxville, I tell you what, we had a slate of noon kickoff games that were head scratchers, Corey, really, because Tennessee went into Death Valley. And I actually thought LSU was going to either win this game or is going to be a close game. They steamrolled over the LSU Tigers 40-13. to In my opinion, Hendon Hooker is the Heisman Trophy favorite right now as, they, as Tennessee gets ready to take on Alabama next week. Probably the biggest game in Tennessee in the last 20 years. Tennessee, Corey, after this impressive win in Death Valley by the Tennessee Volunteers, are the Tennessee Volunteers back? Well, these number eight Tennessee Volunteers, Major Richard, made its first trip to LSU in over a decade. And yes, they made it count. So the Volunteers jumped out to an early lead and never looked back, Richard, on that 40-13 victory over the number 25 Tigers. 
the victory snapped a five-game losing streak for Tennessee in the cross-division series and marked the program's first win over LSU, Richard, since 2005. Yes, star quarterback Hennon Hooker led the way for the Tennessee team with 239 yards passing and another 56 on the ground. The Volunteers' defense also delivered in some key moments to help second-year coach John Josh Heppel's club improved to 5-0. LSU's depleted offensive line struggled to protect quarterback Jaden Daniels, surrendering five sacks to a Tennessee unit that was just ranked prior to this ballgame, 95th in total defense entering the day. But the Volunteers also capitalized on a series of LSU miscues, beginning on the opening play of the game when the Tigers Jack Beck fumbled the kickoff, which led to a quick Tennessee touchdown. Now the Volunteers never looked back here and had the football in Tennessee territory, trailing just 20-7 to late in the first half, Richard. But Daniels was sacked on fourth down, which wound up leading to a 32-yard field goal from Tennessee's Chase McGrath. On the last play of the first half, Jabari Small, and told 127 yards on the ground on 22 carries for the Volunteers. And his 49-yard scamper in the middle of the fourth quarter helped slam the door as it flipped the field position and subsequently allowed Tennessee to run the clock with minutes left. It's an incredible win by the Tennessee Volunteers. It's going to be a big game next week, third Saturday in October. Number three, Alabama, taking on number six, Tennessee. And if there is any time for the Tennessee Volunteers to pick up a win against Bama, which they have not beaten since 2006, they have never beaten Nick Saban and the Tide. This is the this is the game that Tennessee needs to actually stamp their program into being back back to the early 2000s under Philip Fulmer when they were competing for national championships. It really is true. We haven't seen this in a long time, and it's very refreshing. All right, let's talk about this Texas and Oklahoma game because I really wanted to talk about this because this, the Red River rivalry, the Red River shootout, the Texas State Fair, the Cotton Bowl, the pageantry, you got to love Texas and Oklahoma, but not this year. This is not Oklahoma's year. They're having a down year. I don't necessarily think that Brent Venables, who came over as a defensive head coach, the defense has not gotten better. Texas drubs the Oklahoma Sooners 49 to nothing. Corey, I saw that score. I'm like, is that cannot be a misprint. Oklahoma got shut out in this game. I know they didn't have their quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, but my, oh my, have the Oklahoma Sooners fallen. And that just tells you how great of a head coach Lincoln Riley is. Because look at what he's doing at USC. Oklahoma is really struggling, but this tells you how great Texas is. And they actually got back into the rankings, and they are 4-2. Corey, how shocked were you by this game between Texas and Oklahoma? My goodness, Richard. This was a compelling victory for Texas. Now, this Texas team handed Oklahoma's worst loss in history, a Red River showdown rivalry, Richard. This decisive 49 nothing shutout of the 14-time Big 12 champion, not only was its Longhorns' biggest victory in the series, it was the first shutout either way since 2006, and the most dominant win by either side since 03. The Texas victory marked a breakout moment for quarterback Quinn Ewers, who completed 21-31 passing for 289 yards and four touchdowns. Oh, man, they eviscerated them of the whole entire Oklahoma secondary, Richard. The Longhorns running back, Bajan Robinson, added 130 yards on the ground and two touchdowns in that regard for the team. Now, the Sooners started quarterback Davis Beville, like you said, Richard, over the injured Dylan Gabriel, but things fell apart quickly, and Beville completed just 6 of 12 passing for 38 yards. Now, that stat is not a very good one. And an interception in a miserable effort. Now, the Oklahoma team found some success using the Wildcat to generate offensive yardage with tight end Braden Willis under center. However, 
It was never enough, Richard, to break into the end zone. Defensively, Texas brought consistent pressure all game long and was credited with 10 tackles for a loss and three sacks. That's a lot of motion and penetration in the backfield. So in that regard, two of those tackles for a loss came from the senior defensive tackle, Keandre Coburn. Conversely, Oklahoma failed to get any pressure on Ewers with only two credited quarterback pressures. Now, Texas had lost six of its prior seven matchups against Oklahoma, Richard, including five in the Red River Showdown. Now, this victory for Texas over Oklahoma marked its biggest in history over in this rivalry. Overtaking this 45-12 win in 2005, the difference, the Longhorns finished undefeated that season and won the national championship this year. The Longhorns already have two losses, including one to Texas Tech just two games ago as such, but this 2022 Red River Showdown will live in infamy forever. And they get bragging rights for an entire year, and Texas, I believe, is back. They showed that they are a good football team, especially in that close loss against Alabama. Let's go ahead and talk about the Deep South's oldest rivalry. This is a podcast that's focused on Columbus sports. So we have two local teams here in the Fountain City. We have the Auburn Tigers and the Georgia Bulldogs. They were facing off in Athens between the hedges. Georgia gets an impressive 42-10 to victory. They were out the gate slow. They could not score in their first two drives, and it was only 14-0 at the half. Georgia did some impressive things, and I was very impressed with their freshman running back, Branson Robinson, 12 carries for 98 yards. He averaged 8.2 yards a carry. And I think that Georgia, even though they're playing a depleted Auburn Tigers team that has a head coach that's on the hot seat, this was a very big win for the Georgia Bulldogs. Even though they were off to that slow start, they were able to beat the Auburn Tigers 42-10. to 10. And anytime you can beat your rival, it's a win regardless of the score. Corey, right now, Georgia, they jump Alabama in the AP poll. They are now the new number one. But were you impressed by the Georgia Bulldogs' win over the Auburn Tigers? That's without a doubt. Especially, Richard, this Georgia team bounced back from some lackluster performances the last past few weeks and cruised to that 42-10 victory over Auburn at Sanford Stadium in the 2022 edition of the Deep South's oldest rivalry. The Bulldogs hardly needed to break a sweat as the Auburn offense was suffocated from start to finish. The reigning national champions took advantage of some questionable decisions and short fields in the first half to build a lead and then leaned on Auburn in the second half until it broke for good. The key moment in the game came late in the first quarter, Richard, Auburn coach Brian Harson was trying to let a spark in his offense, and it was hard to blame him. With the Tigers facing a fourth and down in their own territory and having already punted on their first three possessions of the game, Harson called for a fake punt. It was the kind of decision a coach makes when they know they're playing straight up and everything is not working in his favor and because their team was outclassed, unfortunately, when it backfires, it's hard to recover. So Georgia took advantage of that short field for its first touchdown of the day, three plays later, to take the 7-0 lead. And it turns out that was the game winner because they did not look any further in the ball game, Richard. For that matter, Georgia would have... Another short field in the second quarter after a 38-yard laid Mick Conkey punt return set them up to make it 14-0. Auburn's lone chance to make it a game, a chance, an opportunity at will. In the third quarter, Auburn's Colby Wooden sacked Stetson Bennett and knocked the ball loose early in the second half. Wooden recovered the fumble, and set the Tigers' offense up inside the Georgia 20. The Georgia defense held Auburn to a field goal afterward, though. And even though in that next position, it was already 
a 21-3 game, it was evident. They didn't look back, and it was an emphatic win for this Georgia ball club. All right, Corey, let's switch gears and let's talk about the National Football League because where do we start? We had some incredible games. Well, we're going to go ahead and start with this local team. I want to know what your opinion is, Corey, on this because I honestly feel, and I looked at Twitter, everybody believes that Grady Jarrett's sack on Tom Brady was not a roughing the passer call. He tackled him a little bit hard and it looked like he threw him to the ground, but really, not really, he rolled over on Grady should have that been called roughing the passer okay so if we were taking a look at the rule book about probably a, a decade ago that would have honestly not been roughing the passer and it's because of the rolling over of the weight and because the momentum shift in the tackling process was happening after after he had already really truly released that football is the reason why it was called a roughing the passer penalty. Now, here's the thing. Back in the day, they would have let that slide because it's very different. Uh, calls like this were different. Targeting calls were different. And it looks like nowadays, there's a lot less content they allow to play ever since, what, the CTE options that were happening with all these players and the thought process and the thinking, and they're trying to make it a clean-up game. So in this era, yes, Richard, that is roughing the passer. All right, yeah, and the Falcons, once again, have a very close game. They are 2-3. and three. They were down 21 to nothing, and they clawed their way back, and they had a chance. If they would have gotten that sack and they would have gotten the ball, who knows? I mean, they could have came back, but Tampa's defense would have stepped up probably just like the Rams did because the Falcons had the ball back when they played the Rams. I tell you, Corey, I mean, we're going to go ahead and talk about some of the games, including your New York Jets. How about this? Three and two. I mean, I know you've got to be happy. I know that the Dolphins weren't playing with Tua. Teddy Bridgewater left the game as well. But Zach Wilson looks poised. He's got weapons. Corey, I know you're excited. What did you think about that game? I know you were watching it 40 to 17 and the New York Jets are off to their best start since I want to say 2016. I mean, this is incredible. It truly is. It's very refreshing to see the likes out of guys that you draft as homegrown guys. Let's talk about Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner in the first play of the game, Richard, they dialed up. Coach Sala dialed up a cornerback blitz, a gutsy play. But yes, they started the game inside their own five. And Sauce Gardner got in the backfield so quickly that he knocked out quarterback Teddy Bridgewater for the rest of the ball game. And it turned out to being a safety. That set the tone for the entire ball game, Richard. Sauce Gardner also had an interception and he had a bunch of tackles in the game. I believe it was five tackles in the game. Incredible. Now, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson in the ball game, he had a game managing day. They, in this game, they didn't ask him to be a hero. He went 14 to 21 passing for 210 yards, and he had a rushing score. The defense finally dialed it up. CJ Mosley, captain of the defense, was moving sideline to sideline and had a lot of tackles inside the ball game. He was the leading tackler in that regard. But the story in this ball game, Richard, it's a rookie coming to his own. In the last couple of weeks, we've really seen exactly the reason why the Jets drafted Brees Hall. Brees Hall, Richard, had 197 all-purpose yards, 97 on the ground, and 100 receiving. He was the number one rusher in the game. He was the number one receiver in the game. He showed exactly why he is a Swiss Army knife. And he had flashes in this game that he looked like a young Ladanian Tomlinson and a young Curtis Martin in the way he was running, the way he was getting inside and outside the tackle box, and the way he, on that long wheel route of 79 yards, he found a seam in the defense. Zach Wilson hit him, and then he 
caught the ball and he was dragging defenders for the last five yards. Down to the one, it told me a lot about this team. Now, the Dolphins had a resilient effort. They had to go with Skylar Thompson after Miami's Teddy Bridgewater got knocked out out of the ball game. So Skylar Thompson in his first ever NFL game did not play too bad. 19-33 for 166 yards and an interception. But here's the thing. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill were both bottled up. When you have a dynamic player like Tyreek Hill only catching seven balls, Richard, for 47 yards, you have to know that this Jets team prepared for them very well. A very different team. They could have very well given up a lead because they were only up by two. But this is a very different ball club this year. It's very refreshing to see this team really put it together. And Michael Carter got in the mix. He had two rushing scores near the doorstep. And Braxton Berrios as well. So it's very pivotal that the Jets have really done what they have. Now next week they're going to have a test when they have to go to Lambeau and play against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Yes, and Aaron Rodgers just after a loss to the New York Giants, you know that Aaron Rodgers is going to try to respond after a loss. Let's move on to the Chargers as they beat the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. They were down 14 to nothing in this game. But Justin Herbert and the defense, they step up. The Chargers are now 3-2. and two. The Browns go to 2-3. and three. They're just trying to weather the storm until Deshaun Watson gets back from suspension. But this is a good football team. This was a really good back-and-forth game between two talented teams, and the Chargers were able to come out on top. Corey, what was your thoughts on this game? So in this game, Richard, the Los Angeles Chargers were led by their quarterback, Justin Herbert. Yes, he went 22 of 34 with 228 yards through the air and a touchdown. A decent day. Was a game manager, really surveyed the field. Now, wide receiver Mike Williams averaged 13.4 yards per catch, Richard. 10 catches on the day. 134 yards and a touchdown. But here's the guy, the game breaker on the offensive side of the ball. Running back Austin Eckler had a game breaking performance. 16 carries on 173 yards. In the NFL, when do you see a running back that's averaging a first down per clip, Richard? Almost impossible. But he did it. He had one. Receiving touchdown in the game, and he also had one rushing touchdown in the game. Now, the defensive player that was, honestly, he's the heart and soul of the secondary of this defense, and that is safety, Derwin James. He, in this game, as a safety, Richard, had 10 tackles. He was everywhere to the ball. This Cleveland Browns team was led by Jacoby Brissett. He ended the football game with 234 yards passing on 21-34. 230. Pretty average performance. He threw passing touchdown. He tossed the pick. But week in, week out, the best part of their offense, and he always makes sure that they're in a ball game. I think he's the number one running back in the game. That's Nick Chubb. He had 17 carries, Richard, for 134 yards. 7.9 yards per carry. That's amazing. And two touchdowns. And finishing the contest as the leading pass catcher for the second straight week was tight end David Njoku. He had six passes for 88 yards on his receptions. So 14.7 yards per reception. And then you can't forget about a really decent performance by Amari Cooper, who had seven catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. But the leading defensive player on that team the lockdown corner, Denzel Ward, who had nine tackles in the game. But all in all, this Chargers team really dialed it up, and it was evident that they are definitely a player in this division. Let's talk about the Fox game of the week. Boy, this was a statement win for the Dallas Cowboys. The big D is back, Corey. Cooper Rush 5-0 and as a starter. The Cowboys are 4-1. and And there is something wrong with the Rams. The defending Super Bowl champs do not look like – the defending Super Bowl champs look like a shell of themselves. 
There was a scoop and score by Demarcus Lawrence. That Dallas defense held the Rams to just 10 points. Here's a stat for you. Cooper Cup only had seven receptions. He was targeted 10 times. They could not get the running game going. The Dallas Cowboys with Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. But really, the big story was Micah Parsons with two sacks. I I believe Micah Parsons is the best defensive player in the National Football League right now. Corey, we all watched this game. This was the primetime game in the afternoon. The Cowboys get a statement win on the road against the Los Angeles Rams. Your thoughts on this game? So Yes, the Cowboys were led by Cooper Rush, but they didn't ask for Cooper Rush to do a lot. He went 10 of 16 for 102 yards, and the leading rusher in the game was Tony Pollard, like you said, Richard. So Tony Pollard actually had a decent day running the football, 86 yards on the ground, and the leading pass catcher for the Cowboys was CeeDee Lamb. He had 10.6 yards per reception and tallying 53 yards on five receptions. Now the leading defensive player, and it seems to be week in and week out, is cornerback Trayvon Dix. My goodness, he plays a lot of press coverage. He is going to test the will of defense, and I think that's the person that's been locking up Cooper Cooper Cup all game long. And like you said about their sack master, the dynamic linebacker himself, Micah Parsons, two sacks in the game. And the fact is, is that sometimes with Mike Parsons, it's not about always him making the tackle, but it's the effort and what he creates and the cutting off of the holes so that they had nowhere to run. He is a great shuffling sideline and sideline linebacker, a dynamic player indeed. That's why the Cowboys are so darn good in the second level of the defense because when the ball is in the inside, he's able to fill the gap, and even if he doesn't, and he makes it so that he cuts off angles to the football in that regard. But the Matthew Stafford was led, leading quarterback of the Rams. He finished the game with 308 yards. Richard on 28 of 42 passing. He had one touchdown, one pick. The leading rusher is a struggling running back. Like you said, what's going on with the offensive line with the Rams? I don't really know. They don't seem like the same team from when they won a championship. They only average two and a half yards per carry. And Cam Akers has been struggling so far this season. Even though, like you said, he was targeted 10 times in the game. Cooper Cup still caught seven passes for 125 yards. And still right around 18 yards per catch. And a touchdown. Dynamic player, even when he got bottled up a little bit. But their leading defensive player for this game was free safety Terrell Burgess. Who had six tackles in the game. But, man, the red-hot Cowboys and the fact that Cooper Rush, as a starter, has been 5 in the last five games, and the Cowboys are red-hot. All right, let's go to the Sunday night football game because despite the score, it actually was a very exciting game towards the end as Justin Tucker wins it for the Baltimore Ravens. This was a Ravens team that lost to the Bengals twice last season. And even though Lamar Jackson didn't put up great fantasy numbers, unfortunately for me, the Baltimore Ravens were able to win the game thanks to Lamar Jackson driving the ball down the field to get into field goal range. The Bengals did take the 17-16 lead thanks to a 13-place, 75-yard drive by Joe Burrow with less than two minutes left to go. I honestly think that they could have ran more clock because you don't want to give Lamar Jackson the ball with time left because he can register a drive. It was 10-10 at the half. The Baltimore Ravens do get the win, 17-16. They go to 3-2. and two. The Bengals are now 2-3. and three. I believe the Ravens now have control of this division. This was a very important win by the Ravens when it comes to tiebreakers, and now they're in first place in the AFC North. Corey, did you stay up and watch this Sunday night game? I absolutely sure did. And the Cincinnati Bengals in this game were led by quarterback Joe Burrow, who won 24-35 for 217 yards, passing one touchdown and one interception. Now on the ground attack, from recent weeks, they actually did a better job today, Richard, last night, per se, with running back Joe Mixon. He carried the football 14 times, 
for 78 yards, 5.6 yards per carry. That definitely was more efficient this time around, opposed to what they were, like 2.8 for the season, averaging. Now the leading pass catcher in the game for the Bengals was tight end Hayden Hurst. He had six catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown. And the leading player on the defensive side of the ball was linebacker Logan Wilson. He had nine tackles in the game. He kept those Bengals in the game, and he showed just how, down, how, how dynamic he is. Now, the Baltimore Ravens were led by quarterback Lamar Jackson. He went 19-32 for 173 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and he was also the leading ball carrier again this week. 12 carries, 58 yards, just shy of the five yards per carry average. Very consistent, and his number one dynamic pass catch of the game was tight end Mark Andrews. He had eight catches in the game, 89 yards, and a touchdown, 11.1 yards per catch average. The defensive leader of the game was linebacker. Oh, yes, yes, you guessed it. The ex-LSU Tiger, Joe Burrow's old teammate who had his locker right next to Joe Burrow. Patrick Queen. Five tackles and an interception in the game and that is what you say about those Ravens. They came out well, but the true story and the living legend of why they're so good, he is the best kicker of all time Justin Tucker. Absolutely, and what a great win for the Ravens. And I know you probably had uh, multiple devices on as you were watching Game 3 of the Wild Card Series between the Mets and the Padres. Corey, Corey, I I have to ask you, what happened to your Mets? They came out flat the last two weekends. I don't know what it is. When the game was on the line, Max Scherzer, these last two weekends, Richard, has honestly been giving up a lot of hits. They've been shelling him. His location on his fastball has not been particularly that great. And that's something that he actually has been incredible for throughout the season is being able to paint those corners and then opportunistically be able to be efficient with his breaking balls. But that really wasn't happening this weekend and something that's very, very disappointing. It's the fact that they did not get the bats going. They think they only had like one or two hits in the game last night, and they got shot out. They got shot out on the last game of the season against a team at home, Richard. You're hosting a playoff game, and you blow the season like that. They had a great year. But the bottom line is that they also had the highest payroll in Major League Baseball. And for them to finish the season like that, it's very disheartening as a fan. And I know you're very disappointed. The Mets season ends after the Padres defeat them 6 to nothing. Hargrove just had an incredible game. And the Padres will move on to take on the Dodgers. And uh, Corey, as always, thank you so much just for being here on the show to recap the weekend of sports i know that it was an incredible weekend and uh, look forward to having you back on for the daily dash tomorrow as we will recap the monday night football game between the las vegas raiders and the kansas city chiefs absolutely richard always a pleasure to work with you all right that was my broadcast partner and co-host Corey bank thank you so much for listening to another episode of the sports beat with richard holdridge don't forget that you can download us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been the Sports Beat with your host, Richard Holdred. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. 
Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.